opportunities to influence the future. And we've kind of described this, and my wife looked at me just a moment ago and said, um, surely you don't have an empty jar on the stage right now. Now just for clarity, for those of you who don't catch it, I have a graduating senior, and if I did this right now, I would probably break down into a one big puddle on the stage. And so this is a rapid illustration to get to a far greater point. But in our preschoolers, when we dedicate our children, we hand them a jar that looks a little bit like this. And in the jar is 936 marbles. And we are saying to them, this is a phase. It's 18 years of life. And we want to lever distinctive opportunities for the sake of the glory of God. And we have 936 marbles in the jar because it represents a singular week of an 18-year-old's life. And we want to leverage our time as a church and as families for the sake of the glory of God. And so um, moving on rapidly past that illustration, there's about eight marbles left. I got the summer still. Thank you, Jesus. But here's what I want you to know in Psalm 145.4. There's something powerful. And here's what I really want you to know. It matters greatly what you and I are doing in every phase. I mean, you hear that as a church. There's no cheat week. There's no week off. I, I gained 52 of these by 18. I don't want to miss a moment of a phase of life. I want as a church for us to share the glory of God and the mighty acts of who he is. It's critical. There are no days off. And as a family and as a people who are sharing, I want to reach in and say, you know, particularly to Lydia this week, we didn't miss one of these. We taught you and planted in your life. It's your role to allow the Spirit of God to bring into fullness who He wants you to become. But we planted these seeds in your life. And it's been, it's been our hope and prayer that you would go out proclaiming that you're good, Lord. You're good. And with my lips, I praise you. We don't want to miss those opportunities. And so we are teaching and declaring the very reality that, God, you are moving in this earth and every person around matters to you. I, I just put this down as an imagination statement, and I'll probably say it 20 times. But imagine if we're in this room, and at every phase we believe this, that every person matters to God. And here's one of the things I planted in our heart. I vividly remember the first time saying this to my oldest daughter. She looked at me, and we kind of had an epiphany moment and talked about this. But we look and we believe with all of our heart that every person we encounter matters to God. And here's why, because they're made in the image of God. The person that you're at the most point, highest point of conflict matters to God right now. Why? Because the scripture tells us they're made in the image of God. They may not be a good reflection at this point, but that's our role. And that's what we're going to unpack for the next little while. But they are made in the image of God. And imagine if we walk this earth as a people after Christ's heart, believing with all of who we are, that in this moment in time, we are encountering others, including ourselves, in relationship to Jesus and every person that we encounter, including ourselves, were made in and for the image of God. That's, that's a huge statement. And hopefully by the end of this day, you will um, be about that and understanding that. And so I want our seniors to walk out, if I could say, and I want you to leverage because we have, we poured some things out and we've only got eight marbles left. But that's not our purpose. That's not what we're about. We want your imagination to thrive, and we want some Stephen Stake stories in about 12 to 14 years where you're standing in going, remember the time he was in Mexico and he was filled with parasites and almost died for the sake of the gospel? It is worth it. 
Stephen would tell you, and that is Stephen's story. Remember the time when they went out and they were singing in the streets for the sake of the Remember at the university when we lived out in this small, small group of people in this 30,000 university, this little core who loves Christ, and we lived for the sake of Christ, and we began to permeate that place with the gospel centrality of who we are, and we saw a revolution on our campus. Remember that? Those are the stories that we want to share as, as we walk out and say this, this matters. And some of you are walking into a next phase and some of us are in a phase. In fact, every one of us are in some phase. And it matters what you're about in this phase for the kids. I didn't want to leave going, hey Susan, we got eight left. I'm sorry, Lydia's gone. I really wanted to say what we've been doing is this. We think you have somewhere in the vicinity of 60 to 70 years on, on, on this earth still. And so we have leveraged this so that this can be fleshed out for the sake of the kingdom of Christ. There's like 60 plus years of marbles left in this bucket. And we're saying, we didn't just come in here to cry and hug you and go to graduation. We came here to say, every single week that you live matters for the sake of the gospel. Go and live grandly for his glory. Don't cheat it. Because a phase, by definition, is a time frame in the life of a person or a faith family where you leverage distinct opportunities to influence the future. And what are we going to influence? We're going to influence because of this reality and this belief. God, you have placed me in the middle of a whole slew of people. I'm looking at all of your faces. You don't even have to wait to get out the doors. Look around you. You've placed me in the midst of people who were formed and made in the image of you, God. And I want to leverage this moment for the sake of your glory. That's a word that uh, Matt used. I want to leverage this moment for the sake of your glory. I want to be able to teach and live in a way that appeals to the image of God in every person. That was too big of a sentence for me not to say it again. I want to teach and live in a way. Here could be a prayer for you. I want to, God, I want to teach and live in a way that appeals to the image of God in every person I meet. Those that are furthest from God and those that are near. And I want to live in this manner so that they gain Christ in the fullness of who he is. Jesus taught this way as if every person were made in the image of God. He said, he said beautiful things like, blessed are the peacemakers. And he said, let your light so shine among men that they see your good works and they give glory to God who is in heaven. He says, I want you to do good. No, better than that. I want you to do glorious Go and make way in this earth for the sake of the kingdom. I want you to, to love your enemies because here's why. They're made in the image of God. I want you to pray for those who persecute you. If you're in group, this applies to our group this morning. Why? Because they were made in the image of God. Jesus didn't kick his, his feet off at his hometown and give up. He went to the cross and gave his life for his hometown so that the gospel power of the cross would make its way to them. Jesus taught in so many manners, lay down your life so that others could be lifted up. He challenged every person to treat every person like they mattered to God. More importantly, as if they were made in the image of God. Imagine, imagine church, if we truly believed that every person that we encounter is made in the image of God. How would that shape us? What would it do to compel us? How would it move our hearts? Imagine if we believe that. There was, this, was, this is one story of an amalgamation of stories because so many of these cool things happen. We had a student ministry that believed that with all their heart. I'm just going to 
call this guy Tim. I have a very particular guy in mind. And he came to our student ministry for a season. And he was very far from God. And he just kind of sat among us and listened to stories. And he was probably there at this point for six to eight months. My first conversation with him was this. We were sitting in the side room where we share the gospel. It's like the Jesus room. And we're sitting over there kind of, you know, afterwards, they kind of talk. And I had two of the students with me. And he was like, hardcore, I'm an atheist, but I'm willing to, I'm kind of checking you guys out. And and I love this. He came for the highest reason plausible. Because we had good looking girls in our church youth group. And so he was like, I'm here. And he just kind of was very honest about that. And I said, well, I'm glad you're here. And so we had this full dialogue. And I ultimately said, Tim, let me just kind of run this by you. What if we prayed a prayer like this? If you're real God, just show yourself. Is there any risk for you at all in this prayer? He's like, I thought about it. I, have, I can't think of any risk. Okay, let's just kind of tell God that, although you don't believe he's there. If you're just kind of real, just show yourself to me. And so over the season of life, we just kept, kept having conversations. He kept interacting with students. He kind of joined in the sand volleyball, ultimately landed on the basketball court, go over four square. He's a junior in high school. He's a kid that has no family. He's living in an outpost building out of where we are. And I'm having these extraordinary dialogues with him. And I, other students are having dialogues with him and we go off on spring break retreat Ryan you remember going to the beach on spring break retreat and we do what we always do on our retreats or in the middle of where we are if we're off on a um, a kind of a getaway we would circle up and at some point we would play and actually probably nightly we would play it's not a game but we would play the blessing game and it was a beautiful game because you would just take opportunities to be in the circle some are facing out some are facing in. And here's a great thing for our student ministry to consider doing on an ongoing basis. As you're facing out, people are coming by and saying, this is how I see the image of God through you. This is what I see God doing in you. This is how I see him kind of moving around you. And we, we literally bless one another. Like it would be so beautiful to just bless one another at all times, right? And so he's just walking through this and he does the blessing game with us and, um, and he comes and knocks on my door because we don't have cell phones at that point in life. This is still the 90s. So he knocks on my door in the old school way and says, can we talk? And on the beach about one in the morning, I brought someone else down there with us and we just talk. And here's what he said, and I'm, I'm verbatim quoting him. I had no idea until I was in the middle of this that I mattered to God. And here's what he said even more beautifully. I had no idea how much I mattered to you. You have blessed me. And I just, I just come back. And then he ultimately, in that moment, said yes to Jesus. And he said yes to the kingdom of Christ. And he said yes to mattering to God. And then he also said yes to mattering for God. It was a beautiful moment. And I just thought, God, I think this would be a written large story if we understood this reality and this truth. Every person, imagine this, that every person that I run into and encounter matters greatly to God. And here's why. They're made in his image. They're made to be blessed. They're made to wrestle with the reality as they're a God. You will, as you go off to college, seniors, you will encounter folks who are proclaiming that they don't know God. You will walk through your majors with folks who are vehemently against God. Uh, Practically every professor will be vehemently against the things of Christ. There are risk-free prayers that you give. Could we just circle around this thought that there is a God who pours out favor? I won't go that far at the first statement. Can we circle around this thought? If there is a God, would you show me yourself? That's risk-free because here's what I believe about you. You're made in his image and he longs to know you. 
He longs to be in relationship with you. And so imagine this church made up of fullness of believers who are passionate for the things of God. Last week, I taught you how the church, and well, I didn't teach you, I just read scripture, how in Deuteronomy, the church was birthed with this truth and reality. The Lord, our God, this is Deuteronomy 6.4, he is one. Deuteronomy 6.5 says this, love the Lord your God with your heart and soul, with your mind and with your strength. And the risk that I said last week is the risk that I would say to a church ongoing. We simply cannot mystify those around us by forging our faith in the midst of a system of rules or ritualistic orthodoxy. That is not the message of the people of Israel, and it is not the message for the church of Jesus Christ. And we will, our propensity will be to make a run for ritual and rule because we're more comfortable with that than we are with passion and relationship. And so to carry this out of Deuteronomy and into the 22nd chapter of the book of Matthew, Jesus was caught with the exact same statement. And it was a powerful moment. And I begin to mold down and land. Landing for me takes about 10 to 15 minutes. So I began to come down and land and say, what is this verse? Because it came to Jesus 1,500 to 2,000 years later and, and, the, and the, the spiritual leaders of the day came and said, if you could, in summary, tell us what is the most important of laws. He didn't care. The scripture says they're there to test him. But the religious leaders wanted to ask Jesus, tell us what matters most in life. They asked not because they wanted to know, they wanted to make a point. The leaders had staunch reputations. They, they, no one worked harder at the rules than they did. No one showed up at the temple more consistently than they did. Again, just apply this to church life and fear that we move away from this. No one prayed harder or longer than they did. No one studied scripture more than they did. They were flexing their muscles of theology right now and saying, Jesus, tell us this. And so Jesus responded and quoted Moses directly. He said in Matthew 22, 37 and 38, Love the Lord your God with your heart and soul, with your mind. This is the greatest and the most important commandment. It's like Jesus was stepping into their wheelhouse and saying, here's what I want you to know, or actually the Pharisees would take it this way, love God with everything you have. Be a good Pharisee. Be like us. Then it happened. Then he said something that would catch them completely off guard. He said, he shared the Shema, which is what I just read, but then he reached into about 600 plus ancient laws and plucked an isolated verse out and read it in Matthew 22 verse Verse um, 39, the second law is this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You will know that you love me when every person that you lock eyes with, you fully come around to understanding that they were made in my image. They were made for me. They were made for my glory and my name. The real measure of whether or not you love God is not how much you've memorized or how many times you've been to temple. The real authentic test of faith is how you treat others and maybe, maybe even more importantly to God, what your heart is for others. 
Where your heart is to say, God, I love you with my heart and soul and mind and strength. And it is portraying itself because I am wrapping my heart of love for you around this reality. My imagination is bursting with ideas to connect to others who are made in your image and to draw them more fully into the character of who you are. That's that's what I want to be about. I want to spend the rest of my life doing that. I want somebody to say, he just graduated from Johns Hopkins, which I don't care if you say that about me, because it's probably not going to happen, but he just did this for the next day. He just spent those days doing that so he could step into third world nations to say to them, you were made in the image of God. And it is not where you're born that matters to God. It is who you are born into. The kingdom of Christ. So I I long to have this, and here's what will happen among us. It will compel us. There will be not only imagination stations around here, but there will be ministries that follow because every person we look at around this city is made in the image of God, and it's going to move us. Because we're going to love them as our neighbor. We're going to love them as ourselves, and it's just going to be powerful. So your neighbor... The one whose dog poops in your yard every single day for three years? That's my story. Not that neighbor. <laughs> He's, he, they're, they're, whole, they're, all, they're all the image of God. And I, I, took, I took from that time an encounter a hard-hearted foolishness and frustration to every time I picked up the shovel, it was prayer. And I, you know what happened? God, you know what God began to do? I began to realize that as I walked, and I can't be too vulnerable in this because it's their privacy, but I began to realize there were specific and clear things that I needed to be praying for for them. And I had missed it for quite a while because I forgot that they were made in the image of God. And I would rather be frustrated over their dog's poop than to serve them and pray for them. And some of you in this room are frustrated over people's I can't say poop, that's weird. But <laughs> You're more frustrated about what people have done in your yard than you are recognizing that they're in the image of Christ. In the kingdom of Jesus, and Jesus has a lot to say about that, and I don't have time for that this morning, but he really feels strongly about this. The byproduct of our love of God is that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Why? Because we love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus, how about you? And then, then he said something in verse 40 that's just insane. All the law and prophets depend on this. It all hangs right here. Everything. In other words, Jesus summarized everything with the concept. He reorganized the writings of Moses and the prophets, the major commandments, and every sacred word of the text. And he said, here is one overarching idea. Love God. Love your neighbor. Everything hangs on this. Faith is responding to God in relationship. And later, later, as you read scripture, and we could keep going for about five weeks on this, James and Paul would say, this is the fulcrum of the church. This is the Shema of the church of Christ. But it's in, in, in the faith of Jesus, this would be our orthodoxy. This would be our passion. We would extend past love God with heart and soul, mind and strength, and extend into imagine sta- imagination stations of loving your neighbor. 
as you love yourself. And we would hang off of that the stories and mighty acts of God because we're a group who's gathered here and we believe. God, we imagine this, that every person we run into is made in your image and we want to mobilize them toward who you are. That, that becomes powerful. I just wrote these sentences and I'm, I'm ending with a story and saying, let's have a great day. When we love God, it leads to a deeper faith. When we love God, it leads to loving others. When we love others, it leads to strengthen relationships and transform lives. There will be stories of transform relationships written large in here. When we love God, here's a beautiful thing for many of us in this room. When we love God, we love ourselves. Not because of our strength, but in fact that the beauty and wonder of God is made manifest and whole in our weakness. And he is conforming and perfecting us into the image of Jesus. And if there are those of you in this room that are struggling with yourself, here's a beautiful message. Stop being who you are and be everything that God wants you to be. Be all of who you are in Christ. For in Christ, gosh, if I start this, I will roll for the next hour. But in Jesus Christ, you are redeemed and forgiven and made whole and complete and all of who you are. That is who you are in Christ. You are robed in righteousness. You are seated in heaven right now. You are the fullness of God in Christ, covered over in all of who you are in him. You are lost and hidden with God in Christ Jesus. Glory to God for who we are in Christ. We have been rescued in him. We have been set free in him. We have been made whole in him. That's who we are. And when we are imagining that, we are sensing, God, I'm completing you. I'm not waiting for something next to happen. You're it. Thank you, Lord. When that's true of us, we begin to imagine others discovering that truth. You're it, Jesus. We begin to imagine them living out their eyes in his image. That's powerful, Jesus. We imagine them being conformed to the image of Jesus. Through transformational stories. That's beautiful, Jesus. We imagine all of us, as that's happening, beginning to sing love songs to the King of Glory. That's powerful, Jesus. I sat in with the JBA, and I I just tell you, we've got two of the three full-time staffers in this church. And if somebody's sitting near um, Jeff right now, they should hug him. Rick Wheeler's in Seattle, so the only person hugging him right now is Camille. But um, Rick and Camille are in Seattle. Jeff, I was listening, Jeff, just the other day at our gathering, and I just saw this played out in a church, with three churches. We, we welcome four churches, actually, into our fold of, of um, churches in this community who are Southern Baptists in the Jacksonville Baptist Network. And it was just, I won't tell all the stories, I'll just tell two of them. One of them said, we started our church out of a church in Orange Park, or actually down on Fleming Island. And they started in a church of, uh, that was dying and declining. And they came in and partnered with them. And they joined some young people with some old people. And they started this beautiful redemptive work. And their name was um, Hyde Park, uh, that, uh, Hibernia Hyde Park. And Hibernia partnered with them. And this past Easter, they became Redemption Church. And they kind of are standing in one of the hardest parts of Jacksonville, by the way. And they're living out the gospel story. And I love this story. They said, one of the first, no, no, not one of the, the first check that we wrote was for an adoption. 
not for ourselves, not for another story about redemption. It was for the kingdom of Christ being a picture of personal adoption because we're adopted in the kingdom of Jesus. And so that was beautiful. And then, and then they started talking about the school they're partnering with, which Jeff, you lead this initiative. And they started saying this, we've been a partner with this school for two years. Two years ago, they were a failing school. Now they are no longer a failing school. Two years ago, they were a school that was struggling with parents. Now, one of our staff members have gone on staff with the school as a parent liaison and we're beginning to write the story of the gospel into the very essence of who they are and they went on and on and said there's no needs in that school so the next middle school is talking to us and i'm thinking here's what i'm thinking about that that church i'm thinking they believe this that every person around them is made in the image of god and they don't believe that redemption church or hyde park hibernia whatever you want to call them they don't believe that they were put anywhere by mistake they believe they were put there for a purpose so mandarin we're surrounded by 200,000 people. Do we believe that they are made in the image of God? And if so, let's start our imaginations in the ways that we can draw them into the presence and passion of God. I, the last story I'll tell, and then I'm going to pray for us. I was sitting, um, hearing about my home church when I was a junior in high school. Parkwood Baptist Church, Arlington area. And I love listening to this pastor. He's starting kind of like we have a Spanish language church and a Haitian church. They started a church under Parkwood. Something, something, something. That's the name of it. And so, but I love hearing his heart. He said, here's where we started. There's an area of Arlington, and those Arlingtonites will know this area. There's an area of Arlington called Sin City. He said, I don't know if Dave will even verify this. I doubt he will because the JSO is in there. But he said, man, there's even hesitancy among officers to venture into Sin City. He said, so here's, that's where we started. And we started our church just walking in up block by block and just saying, there's a gospel and there's a story. And he said, we would walk up, and this will kind of scare some of you all a little bit, but be, be comfortable in your fear. They would walk up and they would say, I mean, there would be people who were smoking weed and just standing there and they would go, please don't stop who being who you are. We just want to tell you about who you could be. And he's met them where they are, and they started the story, and now they're under Parkwood, and they're kind of going, people were hesitant to come to us because we were meeting on a street corner, so we started meeting in a church, and their church is filled with the redemptive story of God in the heart of Sin City, because here's what they believe. They believe that every person in greater Arlington, and that makes my, as a Sandalwood Saint graduate, makes my heart a little more happy. We're barely outside of Arlington. And this church is believe that everybody in Arlington is made in the image of God. And therefore, creativity would call them out to step into their stories of deep brokenness and lead them into a beautiful story of transformation. That's two of four. The Burmese story would take just as long and it is just as beautiful and it is profound. It's a church we just welcomed in. So I, I just end with this thought. Imagine... If we truly believe that every person mattered because they were formed in the image of God. Imagine that God has placed us here to love him. To love others. And to live the redemptive story of Jesus here in Jacksonville. Right around us. As our imagination takes shape, becomes reality, Jesus will be loved. Others will be loved. We will love ourselves. And a multitude of lives will be transformed. Imagine that. That's worthy of every marble we have. 
if we're following Jesus. Amen? I, I would love to invite our students back up to close with a song of worship. And I would love to allow this room to just be sacred space. So as our student band comes to just lead us in song, we just, we just really want to open this time to be a time to say, God, we love you. Teach us to dream. Or this could be a time when you come and just bent your knee before God and say, God, you have given me something that I have imagined but have not actualized. And I'm going to lay this at this altar for you. So this is a time to sing. This may be a time for you to pray. This could be a time when you come and just build your life into this altar and say, Jesus, do what I can't imagine or what I am imagining. Some of our pastors are here at the front. If you, if you want to talk to someone with skin, we're here to pray with you and pray for you. So honestly, the only limitation in this moment, well, there isn't one, it's just turning to Jesus. So Jesus, as we sing, as we pray, as we imagine, as we deepen in love, we just come to worship you for a bit, to close the service, but more importantly, to open our hearts to you in closing. And so Jesus, I imagine you just moving across this room as we sing, flowering our hearts toward you, toward others, toward ourselves, for the glory of the cross. So would you stand with me as we worship and would you respond as you see fit for the sake of the glory of Christ Jesus. Stephen, did you put that in?